0: Let's look, Lord, in prayer. Dearly Father, thank you that we can proclaim that it is well with our soul because of what you have done. I thank you that we do not have to make it well with our soul, that because of your saving work on the cross, it is well. So as our hearts and are in turmoil and as the ways of this world crash against us, thank you that it's by your grace that. Those of us who know Christ are anchored in you. Help us now as we open up your word. Thank you for the life that it is. Thank you that we don't have to make it something because it already is alive and active. So may it do its work in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. So for many years, I think it was about nine or ten years, I had the privilege of working at a public boat launch in the a wonderful uh, city of uh, Fontana, and it was on uh, this lake called Geneva Lake down in southern Wisconsin. And as a uh, boat attendee, some of you may have heard this example before, but I'll give it again because it was so, so apropos to where we are. Right by the boat launch, there was a small sandwich shop, and they called it the bait shop, which threw off all fishermen looking for bait. They'd come in very disappointed. But it was called the bait shop, and all it did was sell sandwiches. But the parking for it was a block up the road. And so you'd have all these people from Illinois, the wonderful people that come up from Illinois, and they would come driving down to grab a sandwich from the bait shop there, and they'd get down there and realize the parking they had missed. And there was a little turnaround for boats when they would be dropping the boat in that you had to keep open, but it looked like a wonderful parking spot. So the village of Fontana put a big sign that says no parking anytime because you literally cannot launch a boat if someone had pulled in there. But you get these people swinging down, they pull in, they just want to run in and get their sandwich, and we was, as employees, we'd come over and literally say, see that sign there, we can't launch boats if you're parked there. And they would all give us their reason, you know, and all these other things. And we'd say, I'm sorry, you, you have to move. But, and then here come the excuses. The sign no parking at any time did not have some type of Language that people didn't understand, right? It was pretty clear. When can you park? The answer is no, you can't. And when is the time you can do it? Anytime. All right, like that's about as clear as you can get that anyone walking by, if we were to ask them, what does this sign say and what does it mean? They would look at it and go, you can't park there. But everybody thought, well, if they had ordered a sandwich and they weren't going to drive around the block to go back, that sign did not apply to them. It's interesting The Bible is not hard to understand. The words are right there in front of us. But many times, it is not hard to understand is that it's understood and rejected. Just like in front of us, no parking at any time, doesn't matter whether you're from Illinois, it doesn't matter if you have a boat uh, that's docked somewhere else, it doesn't matter. And I can give you all the excuses that they said it doesn't apply to them. The answer was no parking at any time literally means you. So when it comes to the text of Scripture, what the Bible says, there's no question about it. It's just mankind doesn't like what it says, and so we want to reject it. Because by definition, and hopefully you've gotten this already, but we're going to repeat it again, God is the creator, the sovereign ruler of all things. That means he defines, by definition, reality. If we want to know what reality is, we have to go to Scripture. You cannot go anywhere outside of that because then you are putting that source higher than the ultimate source, God himself. So if you want to know what reality is, you want to know how to understand what is real, what is fake, what is true, what is error, you have to go to the definer, the creator of all things, God himself. Not only is he the definer of reality, God is the authority for everything. If you want to know what to do, You look to God because he is, again, the creator, sustainer, and ruler of all things. And hopefully you have had that. If you've been at CBC for a while, hopefully you've had that so pounded into you that we go, Tim, I get it. And I would argue we don't, all right, because we're going to get soon here real quick to some issues that I'm going to go back to this and we're going to go, well, I don't know if you like that. All right, but we're not there yet. But I just want to start saying the point where no one's argued, no, God is not the definer of reality. No, God is not the authority over all things. But just remember, you've agreed with it so far. Uh, One side note here before I quote, you'll see it in your notes there. Um, Every morning, pretty much every morning, unless he is in the hospital, or unless it's the month of July, a guy named Albert Moeller gives us a short briefing about daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview. If you are not listening to it, I'll put it in an R.C. Sproul quote, what is wrong with you people? But I would encourage you, it is a phenomenal, short, 15-20 minute podcast that keeps you up to date with what's going on. This last week, he said this in one of his morning briefings. He reminded us, if it is God's design, it is absolute. If it is God's design, it is absolute. That means it is true by definition because God designed it. And not only that, it is simultaneously for his glory and our good. If God has designed it, it is true. And not only that, it is for him to receive the glory and it is for our good, our benefit. So if God is the designer of it, if God is the one who initiated it, then it is good and also brings him glory. Saying all of that gives us... Our text today, Genesis 1, 28-31, where we will see the creation mandate. So let's read it. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food." and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. When we hear this word creation mandate, the word mandate... um, It did not have a negative meaning until a couple of years ago that some people were doing mandates all over the place. But the word mandate is an official order given by a person in power. If there's a mandate, it's an order given by someone in power. Now, we can argue if the person has the power to do that mandating or not, but a mandate is someone in power is giving an order of how things ought to be. Do not Google mandate. All you'll see is vaccine mandates all over the place. All right. I was trying to get some other interaction with the word mandate, but I was like, after 10 pages into it, I'm like, all right, thank you, COVID. All right. And that we can have this conversational mandate, but that is what this is. It's a mandate. It's by God who is the king, the ruler telling someone else. It's a command. And in this command, the command is also giving us a purpose to humanity. Because this command is given to the image bearers. Because notice in verse 26 and 27, where the triune God is creating man. And now he is going to bless them and he's going to give them, basically, as we're going to see, is a mandate. And in this mandate, in this command, also helps us understand not only that mankind is about to be doing something, but it also gives us an understanding of how mankind, as image bearers, is to re- reflect God in this world. Because notice, uh, the whole creation thing is, here are the plants, and here's what you're to do. Here are this, the stars and the moons. Here's what you're to do. Here's, and everything in creation is given its job after it's created, like producing after its kind, things like this. Now man is made, and now God is going to say, here's what you're going to do. And so we see in this command is something beautiful. In this command or mandate, human beings are about ready to begin their God-given goal, their God-given purpose. In verse 28, though, notice as it starts off, long before the be, and then the command after there's, notice he starts off in verse 28, and God blessed them. Uh, this pattern you will also see when he gives uh, the commandments, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he starts off in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, saying, remember the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Remember my saving work of you? Now here's my command. The same idea that many times we think of God as being this harsh, just commander, he's also going, not only is he someone who tells us what to do, he reminds us of the blessings that he has given us. And from this point of blessing, here is how we respond. So I want to look at this phrase here in verse 28 part, and God bless them. We're going to work backwards. The word them, he's blessing them. And what is this them that he's blessing? The answer is he is blessing them as male and he is blessing them as female. All right. Now I want to be clear. You cannot, this is one of those where you will look back and there's very little written of this of past generations because this wasn't a debated topic. All right. Now, just because it's debated new here is not meaning that it's new. It's just no one really debated it because we didn't have the thought process at this time. We've not rebelled far enough to get to where we are here. Because we've arrived as a culture at a crisis point. We, re- we have arrived at a point where not only is gender at stake, the very idea of gender, also language is at stake. And this is not something as a church of God that we should sit here and go, we don't know what to do about this. All right? So we do not need to cower as those who have no idea. All right? From the very basic knowledge of Scripture, what we have here in our culture is not the creation of something new. I want to be clear on it. What we have is by definition a denial of reality. We have human beings seeing reality and saying we're denying them. So they would deny that God blessed them. But the text is very clear. So I want to be clear on this. Being male and being female is, the par- is part of the goodness of God's creation. I want to make sure you understand that. Gender is part of God's goodness. Gender is not something that is bad, that has been forced upon someone to decide what they want to be. Gender, the God-given gender, is a good thing for you. So in the following passage, though, this is why I think it's very important we see this word, them, because without God blessing them as male and female, what is to follow cannot, by definition, in the reality that God has created, take place. So what we see here, the concept of this blessing First of all, we saw it with the birds and the, and the sea and the fish, animals, and everything else that's going on there. Now we're going to see it with humanity. But before we go any further of what this blessing is going to entail, I want to stop and look at that word blessing. All right, And the, the idea that God is actually blessing, what does that mean? Because you're going to see this all throughout Scripture, and we're just going to touch on it a little bit here, that God is actually blessing them as male and female, but the idea that God blessing... And at all in humanity. So when we think of the idea of blessing, there's a couple of things that I want to make sure we're clear on. Notice who the source of this blessing is. God. It's not man. That God is the source of blessing. You're going to see, as we look at the blessings in Scripture, you're going to see that God is the source. When one person is going to bless somebody else, they acknowledge God is the one who is the giver of that blessing, not them. They are just a tool to be used in this situation. Um, You see this happening which is a really interesting time, is when everybody gathers at Thanksgiving and everybody's going to say what they're thankful for. And, the, and when the unsaved world tries to deal with what they're thankful for without giving credit to who they're thankful to, like, I'm thankful for, and they fill in the blank, and you go, to who? I don't know, I'm just thankful for being thankful. All right, But a believer understands that we're thankful to God. He is the ultimate one we're thankful for, because without him, we would have nothing. But the unsaved world, when we deny the reality of God, you're just thankful for thankful's sake. All right? It's like the old phrase, you know, when you look at a kid, when you can't use a biblical worldview to even discipline, and we say, be good for goodness sake is the only reason we've got left, right? But now, when we understand a biblical worldview, when we understand that God is the source of all blessing, it puts us in a proper mindset because in God being the one blessing them, we will notice that this blessing is also going to explain the purpose that he has for them. He's blessing them, and now in this blessing, there's the command. Also, this blessing points to a future, that there's a future in front of them. You're going to see here in a moment the command that to be fruitful and multiply means that this is something that continues on, that there's a future, there's a purpose for this. God being the source of it, God, this blessing explaining the purpose, and then the final, this blessing means that actually God is for you, not against you. The Bible is filled with blessings. If you could real quick turn your Bibles to Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. When we look at this idea of God blessing, in a number chapter 6, we have here Aaron's sons being dedicated to the priesthood. And Moses is going to stand up in front of Israel here, and he's going to speak to Aaron's sons. And as he's speaking to Aaron as his sons, you will see this blessing that is given, Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. And notice again, God being the source, the purpose The point of the future and the blessing means that God is for you. Listen to how Moses speaks. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There's There's a blessing that is given here. One of the privileges I have of doing many weddings, and I like to close with that. this blessing given, because it reminds the couple that God is the source their marriage has purpose and appoints the couple to a future together and reminds them that God is for them. These blessings that we have in Scripture are important to us to remember. And God, and as He's blessing in this, back to our text here, as God, is He's blessing, He is telling them that He is for them, not against them. That He is the source of all of these things because He literally created them. And it means that Adam and Eve here, male and female, which you'll get their names later, but male and female here that are given have a purpose to be done in their God given manner that He has created them. So let's look at this purpose here Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, this idea of fruitfulness, again, it means to flourish or abound. When we think of the word fruitful, we're talking about abundance. This is not something that you're supposed to just hold on to, it's a flourishing, it's abounding. The idea of multiplying is to increase in number through reproduction. And again, this increasing in number can only be done in the way God blessed them as having male and female. Again, many of these sadly, and I would call them, ignorant conversations that are being had around our world of who can get pregnant, who can't, what is this, what is that, are not even, the Bible doesn't even bat an eye at it, it just tells us what reality is we should not run from it. So as created image bearers, Adam and Eve, or male and female, are to reproduce more image bearers and fill the earth. Because notice what it says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Mankind filling the earth was a God-given call long before the fall. It's the idea of spreading out. And as you spread out, what you're doing is creating image bearers all over the place, image bearers or reflectors of God to fill the whole earth. Now think through this for a moment. This is before man has rebelled. What does this mean about reproduction? It is a positive thing. It is not children are not a danger to your way of living. They are if you are following after the materialism of this world, but children are something that God has said they are for you to have and they are reproduction and filling the earth with more image bearers of God is what you have been called to do. Noah, after the flood, after mankind had rebelled to the point where God said, I am starting over again with Noah and your family and a small band of one family. When the ark lands on the mountain, God tells Noah the same thing again. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This idea of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth is not something that you can't do after the fall. This is literally after man has rebelled and Noah has been called to do the same thing that Adam was called to do. So we need to think through this for a moment. When we think through this and we say, should we be concerned about the overpopulation of the earth and all these other things that everybody likes to stress themselves out about, the earth is to be used by humanity because God said to do what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill it. All, right, all I have to say is if you've ever driven across South Dakota for more than like two minutes, we've got a ways to go before we fill the earth. All right? Maybe with cattle or things like that we're getting closer, but this idea of spreading out and filling the earth is what God has called us to. Not only that, though, but listen to the creation line that's even in when Jesus is standing with his disciples and he is about ready to leave, and here's what he tells them. Go into what? All the world and preach the Gospel to everyone. Why? Because what is the Gospel supposed to do? Go to all the world. What is mankind supposed to do? Go to all the world. Meaning there are people that are image bearers of God that do not understand that they are image bearers of God, not reflecting the image bearing of God. And what does the Gospel do? The Gospel goes forth in power, awakening the hearts and minds of these people. And we know that this whole global aspect is going to happen because Revelation 5 reminds us over and over again that God is redeeming people out of every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so this creation mandate, not only to fill the earth, and to—and we'll get to an example in a second to subdue it, but to fill the earth and multiply and be fruitful is not only in creation, it's also after the fall to fill it with gospel understanding, glorifying God, image bearers of him. As Piper one time said in his sermon on missions, we go into lost places because the the call of the redeemed is not loud enough there. So we go into places with the power of the gospel because the gospel awakens the heart to see the true image bearing that they are, glorifying God. So this whole idea of subduing and filling the earth and to use it is a God-given thing. So now we're going to talk about two words that, again, it is not heart. This is a no parking anytime statement but you hear this word if i were to go to the wrong place and say it is your god-given task to subdue the earth all right they may who knows what they may do to you if you go to the wrong convention on one of those or if you say mankind's role is to have dominion over the earth depending on where you're at those can be fighting you because point number three: Not only have we been called to be fruitful and multiply, we've been called to subdue and have dominion. Now, I found a quote from an individual who is self-proclaimed social activist, which that should always cause you to pause. But this social activist, this person's name is Alice Walker, and it's and it is sad because the confusion that is there of a totally lacking of a biblical worldview. So, listen to this quote. Here's what. This individual said, the animals of the world exist for their own reasons. They are not made for humans or any more, any more. They are not made for humans any more than black people are made for white people or women are created for men. And I'm going like, all right, so wait a minute. Animals are know why they're here. Then we got to throw racism in there and then we got to throw sexism in there. And you're going to go, what are you what are you trying to do? Like, what, what are we supposed to do with that?'" Because we're not only attacking human beings, that animals exist not for you humans, they exist for their own reason, and she's gonna go, how do you know what their reasons are, right? Maybe one of the reasons is, but, but they, they know. Them. Then we gotta throw racism in there, right? Then we gotta throw sexism in there, and at the end you go, so what is the purpose for mankind to be here at all? So let's look at these two words. Then. We think of the idea of subdue. The idea of subdue is the subject or to keep under control. We think of the word subdue as to bring something into subjection or to keep under control. And then the word dominion is to rule or to govern. To rule or to govern. So what we have God given to us is the call to subdue and have dominion. Now, I want to pause for a second. Let's start back at the beginning. God is the creator and sustainer and ruler of all things. God is the one who subdues and has dominion over. Now he has created image bearers to reflect them, and the image bearers only have the ability to subdue and have dominion. Why? Because God is the one who gave it to them. And this is one of the ways that mankind reflects God by doing these kingly things that only he has the right to give to mankind to do. Mankind, by definition, does not have the right by himself, except for the creator is the one who tells him what? I am giving you these things to do here on earth because I am the one that has the all power. Now you are the one that will subdue and have dominion over. So what does this look like? How does this play out? So I want you to think of two words here. Now, I'm really trying hard. I want, I want to just play this out. We all know the fall is coming, not like fall as an autumn. I'm talking fall as in like Genesis 3 fall, all right, where every single thing man will do was going to be corrupting and destroying, all right, so it is hard for us at times to try to get back to a pre-creation thinking, because every single thing we do now is just filled with sin and greed and evil and everything else, and so even when we're stewarding and even when we're ruling over things, it is filled with greed, sin and evil and all sorts of stuff. And it doesn't matter which government system you have in charge. It is run by human beings that are filled with greed, power, and all these other things. And so when we try in our brains to go, what would this look like in a pre-fallen world? To try to understand how do we steward, how do we rule, where at best we can just look through the mirror dimly at these things. So I'm going to try to give us ideas of what this would look like. So when God creates man... And he, puts him in the, and he puts him in this world, and he says, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over. And you see all the things he's had dominion over. The word I want you to remember again is steward. So the word steward means care for or maintain. The idea of steward means to care for or maintain. I'll give you an example of how this is done. If you have a fruit tree, and you prune it at the right time and at the right places and stuff, the fruit tree will grow and produce more fruit. Right? Again, remember Adam before the fall, was called to be a gardener, to bring forth fruit. And a gardener, what he does is he takes what is there and enables the fruit to be even more bountiful, to be even more beautiful. Another thing, same thing as well, is, is we steward the earth. It means plant things for beauty. God is the one who given us, so he's given mankind creative nature. So when you're gardening and things like this, you're taking plants and arranging them, some here, some there, all over the place, bringing forth even more beauty than was already there. Uh, For some strange reason, in all my years of landscaping, someone somewhere along the line determined that odd numbers of things are more beautiful than even numbers of things. Who knows, and every single time they said that to me, I would always say how odd that is, but... In those situations that were there, you're planning them, and they always go, put an odd number, because that is more aesthetically appealing to the eye. And this is what God has called us to do, to take things like this. No different than if you see trees scattered all over the place, but then you see a nice long row of them. The eye goes, oh, that is nice how straight they are, and all of these beautiful things that God has given. Also, planning things for more food. Another thing that we would do is we, in the creative world is keeping things in order. The idea of stewarding. So to give you an example of what we mean by stewarding, a steward understands that there are resources that need to be given out. And these resources that are here, that are brought in and then given out and stewarded well, this is how we are to understand the world around us. Am I being a good steward of what God has given me? And this call to be fruitful and multiply comes with it then a certain decision making. This is where the next word I want you to think through is the idea of rule. We are called to steward, we are called to rule. The idea to rule carries with it the idea to govern. Making choices that are best for not only the planet, but preserving for the next generation. Now, before everything went crazy weird, the idea of sustainability is a biblical concept. All right. Now we just pay double and extra for it because someone says it's sustainable. And you're like, shouldn't we be doing this as... From the very beginning, the idea that God has created a world that we are to preserve for the upcoming generations. That is not just narrow thinking now. But what has happened though, again, because of the fall, what do we all want to do? We want to worship the creation instead of the creator. So when someone says, Oh, I've planted something that's sustainable. And we all of a sudden think that if I consume that or whatever, now we are somehow higher level. I just, we just can get so confused, can't we? When we think of ruling or governing, this is the another idea too that comes with it. it, would be using this, the earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. So things like mining to get metals, to allow mankind to flourish. I want to walk through this here real quick. Even after the fall, notice what Adam and Eve's sons do. Abel starts working on with animals and herding. Cain starts working with the crops of the ground. It wasn't too long until Cain starts working with metal and all these other things for the betterment of humanity. Yes, mankind has fallen, and we never will get what it looks like before that, but the idea that God has given these us the earth to use for our creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply and filling the earth is what God has called us to. Notice, though, when we steward, that does not mean strip the land barren. That means, I mean, this is one of those, like, concepts you say this should not have been that hard if you cut down a tree and you're a lumber business what are you going to eventually do if you don't plant more trees run out of business right so if we are thinking biblically you cut down a tree what should you do plant a tree all right without having to go now pastor tim has said we're all crazy environmentalists i'm not saying that all right what i'm saying is there's a christian understanding of our understanding of the environment That we don't just come through and say we're going to take all the fish out of the ocean and not realize that maybe we need to restock these things. Now, again, as I'm saying before, who knows what it was like before the fall? All right, we're dealing with it now, but our understanding of it now can be taken from this. Because remember, as we rule and govern, There are certain things that we can make decisions on that are wise, like creating a dam for power or creating a dam so we have irrigation that flows one way or the other for the betterment of what is the call to fill the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and put people, image bearers of God on the whole planet, reflecting the glory and honor of God. And so when we think through this, the purpose of why God has called us here on earth is to be good stewards of what he has given us and to make wise choices. Now, the problem is going to be, the fall is going to come, where my wise choice means I'm going to do this, and I could care less about tomorrow, and all these other things that are polluting, and all this other stuff that we have, that Christians should be against this, because creation glorifies God, and we are not to be destroyers of it, we are to actually be ones that are stewarding and governing it well. But again, I I just want to make sure we're clear on this. You can take any word, if you put ism or ist on the end of it, you usually get into some interesting words, all right? Like an environmental ist. Like we all like the environment, but if you put an environmental ist on the end of it, now you have people that are killing themselves for the that a whale is more important than a human being and all these other type of things that can get confusing. But here's what sadly many Christians do. We run to the other side of this issue and we go, we're just going to exploit and use because who cares? And when literally going, if I understand this right, as a God worshiper and a God lover of what he's called me to do, I should be concerned about how the environment is going and all the pollution and other things, but I don't worship it. My hope is not in, will we lower the Earth's temperature a degree Celsius one way or the other? My hope is in Christ and Christ alone. But what can happen then is we, you know, the pendulum, we love to swing it, don't we? From one side to the next. As if you see someone do something crazy over here and then the response is to come over here and be just as crazy over here. And these are the things that that can really confuse us as believers because we live in a day and age where there is so much confusion all across. That all of a sudden now coming back and saying, so what has God actually said? How well are you stewarding? even your own property that God has given you? I'm not gonna, that does not mean you all need to go home and plant a garden, all right? But I would argue there's some biblical push to going, are you using the resources that God has given you for his glory? Because let me ask you a question. What do you have that you have not received? And the answer is you've got nothing <laughs> that you have not received. How are you stewarding even all of the material stuff that God has given you. We live in the land of abundance, don't we? Are we using that abundance to glorify God? Because this call to be fruitful and multiply and fill the air, subdue and have dominion, notice how it ends in verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made, because this is the key as we're moving forward into Genesis chapter 2, that God is going to see everything that he had made. He looks at it all, and behold, it was not just good, it was what? Very good. That means mankind producing and filling the earth is what God has said that is very good. And then we see the evening and the morning, the sixth day. So what did we learn? What what can we take from Genesis chapter 1, the whole passage? Everything God does is perfect and completely wise and is the fittest means to accomplish everything he has decreed. I'll say that again. I've said this now, I think five times. There was one Sunday I forgot to say it. So I'll say it one more time to help us remember. Everything God does is perfect and completely wise. Let's think through that for a moment. The way he made you, the way he created you, everything that he does is perfect and completely wise and is the fittest means to accomplish everything he has decreed. There's no extra that you're like, God's like, well, I didn't mean it to do it that way. He's saying, no, that what he has given us is what he has given us because that is the best force. Because if God has decreed it, it is for his glory and our good. The way he made you is for his glory and your good. With all of your bumps, twists, all the other things you want to talk about, whether there's more of you or less of you than you'd like or whatever, the way he made you is for his glory and your good. Are we content with that? Are we content with what he has given us? Because if we're not content with what he has given us, we'll never be content with what we want. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, help us as we turn the corner now and think about that great redeeming work on the cross. Awaken in us anew, a new understanding of the depth of our sin and the depth of your great grace and mercy. Help us never to pass through these things quickly. Help us to ponder well. In your son's name we pray, amen. If you could stand with us as we sing. Number 559, Jesus paid it all, 559. Four verses.